today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, right now, I want to talk about uh, what's going on with the National Football League and, uh, well, their attitude towards injuries and concussions. Uh, for those of you who watched the games over the last couple of weeks, you know that Miami quarterback Tua Tagovailoa is uh, is injured. Uh, he was injured uh, during a game against the Cincinnati Bengals a couple of weeks ago, carried off the field in the stretcher uh, with a concussion. Uh, the which think probably that's bad enough in and of itself. But what's made it worse is he suffered a similar injury the week before when they played Buffalo. And a lot of people were wondering why is he even on the field against the Bengals? Uh, should a protocol not have been in place? And there's a story to that, too. Uh, there's a fascinating piece in uh, theconversation.com about this uh, from our next guest uh, who writes about this. Adam Pyle is an emergency medical physician and uh, lecturer at the University of Toronto, uh, the author of the piece, and he joins us uh, to talk about uh, his thoughts on this. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Appreciate it, and thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's very, very timely, of course, because of what's gone on. And 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 as you mentioned in the piece, this is not a new debate. You know, concussion protocols, et cetera, have been going on for quite some time. And, and you know, there's always been some skepticism as to whether or not they've been effective uh, and whether or not the NFL is sincere about this, too. But we can get into that, I guess, in a few minutes. But the, the thing I like about the piece here is you're saying there is a, a methodology uh, that could have and should have been used that might have prevented this injury. And it's it's from rugby. Yeah. So I think, you know, world rugby uh, has a more conservative approach, I think, owing largely to the fact that it's had its own issues with player lawsuits and player welfare uh, going back quite some time now. And it is also a very physical contact sport, as, you, as you're aware, and as your listeners mm -hmm. may realize. So what they do differently is that they have a list of criteria that are non-negotiable that remove the human element from the equation and that result in a player being removed from play and put into the return to play concussion protocol the minute they show any signs of these criteria. So is, is it like a checklist? I mean, as a physician, you know, automatically, if somebody says I have a sore head, for instance, or I get a headache, uh, you start looking for things. And, and I guess, you know, the, the answers to the questions you're going to ask are, are going to lead you to a diagnosis. Uh, That's is, right. Is it, is it difficult to do that with a concussion? Yeah, so it is because there are no consensus criteria really on what uh, constitutes the diagnosis of a concussion. There's a heavy element of clinician um, uh evaluation and opinion and so what rugby's done that's different is they have a list of symptoms uh, and if you meet any of these symptoms either on video on any of the you know the sort of observers or flaggers on the field the coaches the players the physicians uh, you you would be removed from play and not allowed to return in that game and and the argument here is you know should that have happened in the first game which would have precluded and prevented you know the second concussion uh, potentially that that happened in that second game for Tua. Uh, in his particular case, well, let's let's maybe go over the chronology of that. Uh, I, I watched both games, obviously, and uh, I I didn't think he was going to come back from the the injury he suffered against the Bills, and and which begs the question: Why was he even on the field against Cincinnati? But the the team uh, seemed to indicate that no, that was a it was a back injury. It had nothing to do with his head, uh, which I found a little suspect. But uh, but that was their answer to it. Uh, but then what happened, of course, in the in the game against the Bengals, I guess, kind of exacerbated the situation that was already there. Uh, should there have been a, a more stringent protocol put in place after that first injury? Yeah, so uh, the caveat here is that I haven't examined this player, but I think, you know, yourself and all your viewers sure. who saw this may agree that he showed some some 
strange symptoms, some potentially neurological symptoms in that first game. And had he been playing rugby in that game, he would most likely have been removed and he would have been ineligible to play uh, until he went through the whole concussion protocol, which takes at least one week, which would have meant he would have been ineligible for the second game uh, where he sustained his much more serious injury. So, and, and again, what, any law, any protocol, I guess, doctor, is only going to be as good as the enforcement of it. Uh, is is the rugby association or the rugby associations, I guess, or even the global situation, are, are they stringent about this, about the protocol and how it's, it's actually put in place? Yeah, so they are quite conservative. They uh, make all decisions subject to review by a central body as well. So they are actively auditing this process. And ultimately, the decision on whether to return a player to the field of play if they don't have one of the absolutely mandatory removal criteria, but show some soft signs of neurological compromise or concussion, the, the ultimate decision lies with an independent third party uh, practitioner uh, and not with the uh, head doctor of the team, which unfortunately is the case in the NFL. And, you know, I, I certainly feel for these folks because they're making tough decisions in the crucible of game time play. Uh, and it can be uh, that they're facing intense pressure to put players back on when they really shouldn't be. Well, and I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody, but you know, that seems to be uh, one of the dynamics that, that people were concerned about. Yeah, it's the team doctor. The doctor's paid by the football team. The football team wants to win. Uh, I would think that puts an, an immense amount of pressure on that physician uh, to quote unquote, do the right thing. But you've got that plus you've got you know, the, the doctor's own desire to make sure that, the, the, in this case, the quarterback is, is healthy. Yeah, so it's hard to imagine the pressures that they're under. But what I would like to highlight that rugby does differently and which other major sports may want to consider is they do remove that human element in these situations where clear symptoms of concussion are being shown. Uh, and they, they don't allow for that assessment off the field and then return to play if the concern is that there may be a suspected concussion. Uh, what we know is that sport-related concussion is a risk factor for having future concussions and that having multiple concussions, especially in a short period of time, is associated with having more physical, cognitive, and emotional symptoms down the line. Part of the debate, and I want to ask you to take a side on this, because I've, I've talked to players, football players, former football players, uh, that are concerned about this. And we've heard some, some horrific stories, of course, about former football players uh, that have developed uh, se severe brain conditions, uh, some of them leading to death, some leading to suicides uh, as a result of this. Uh, the, the leagues themselves seem reticent to be able to connect the dots and say that's not because they played football. That could have been something else, uh, which I think is a pretty flimsy argument, but it's an argument nonetheless that they keep putting out there. Uh, how does rugby handle something like this? Are they, they uh, Clearly, I mean, you know, you don't wear a helmet in rugby. Uh, head injuries, especially with a sport that that's as violent as rugby is, and I, I've played it at high school anyway. Uh, it's, it seems as if, well, you, and not that there's an expectation of concussion, but there's, there's a, it may be you know, a higher expectation that this is going to happen, and they seem to accept that and treat that, which is different from some of the other leagues, I think, that are involved with this. Yeah, so it's true that players are getting bigger, they're getting stronger, the impact velocities in all of contact sports are, are becoming more severe. And so rugby certainly does have its fair share of concussions and they, they do occur more frequently they do than they do in other contact sports uh, like the NFL. And so they've had to deal with this at a, at a higher level, uh, I think earlier than some other sports. And that's what's made their, um, informed their decisions and, and made their concussion protocols so stringent. 
And and the time frame here, as you mentioned, uh, in rugby, uh, if you're diagnosed and say, yeah, you you're you've got a concussion, uh, how do you determine how much time is going to be taken off like this? I mentioned you mentioned that you might miss a, a week or two. Uh, is there a formula for that, or is it dependent upon the severity of it? Yeah, so it is a stepwise return to play uh, through which players must must pass in order to to return to contact sport. Uh, and it can take as little as one week. Uh, they are actually thinking of increasing this to possibly 12 or even 14 days. Uh, and then it can take as long as symptoms uh, remain. So if you are failing, quote unquote, uh, certain return to play protocols and you're not advancing through without symptoms occurring, confusion, headaches, memory loss, nausea, those sorts of things, then you wouldn't be allowed to progress back to uh, full contact. The ex- the example that you talked about in the piece here, of course, with the Miami quarterback, I think it was pretty self-evident. I mean, we saw the injury, uh, especially against uh, the, the Bengals. I mean, he got slammed down pretty hard on the turf, and you can see his head uh, hit there. So everybody was expecting, though, you know, that it looks like he's injured. Not always, though. Uh, I, I just anecdotally, I remember I've got a friend of mine who's a former professional football player, uh, and he was asked, you know, how many concussions did you have? He says, well, I was never diagnosed with one. That doesn't. But he says, you know what? He says I can think right now of dozens of times when I got up and I was dizzy or you know a little disoriented, etc. But you just kept on going, and nobody even diagnosed it. Are we getting better at that now? Yeah, so I think we are, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see an increased rate of concussions in sports like rugby. Uh, partially, it's the fact that players are getting bigger and stronger, but the trajectory supports also that we're increasing the extent to which we're able to diagnose these concussions. And so recognition is part of that increase. And that's you know that's good for the sport. It's good for player welfare. The reality is that some of these symptoms can be subtle. They can present after the game, and this is why it's incumbent upon coaches and players and medical staff for these teams to recognize that and remove players from play and it's incumbent upon the players themselves to report symptoms and to make sure that they're uh, you know reliable in terms of their histories that they're giving to to coaches and medical practitioners so that we're all on the same page regarding what's safe for them and what's best for their welfare and, and i as you mentioned the, 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 i guess concussions are like snowflakes no no, no two are the same i because it, it can vary in this i mean you've got something like this as i said my, my friend the football player who didn't really realize he had concussions and then you look at a, a severe case like well like a Sidney crosby uh who just couldn't play i mean he took almost a full season off uh, because he just couldn't do it he went tried to go back on the ice and all of that just seemed to exacerbate the system and and everything that was going on with them now so th- there's no pattern here that you can actually follow uh, which I guess increases the importance of, of the physician and, and their care of that individual uh, to see if they are actually recovering. Because I, I guess there's there's no you know cut and dried tri- uh, time frame for exactly how this can happen, is there? That's right, and uh, and everyone is different. Uh, and the the speed of the hit, the extent to which you had initial symptoms versus downstream symptoms, these can all play into it. But this is why, again, I think it's so important that as much as possible, we remove the human element from the equation. We don't have those human factors playing into it as much. So we increase the number of people who assess players, the number of independent medical practitioners involved in their care, and the extent to which we're able to progress them back to play by having all those folks check in on them daily, you know, weekly, uh, and then as they return to full contact to make sure they have no residual symptoms. Do you get the sense, though, that, that as you say, there's a, a protocol in place with rugby that seems to work for them? 
Uh, and I know that, you know, professional sports leagues in here in North America, football, hockey, whatever the case might be, even baseball, I mean, they all seem to have what they call concussion protocols right now. Uh, but do you see this doctor as, as a, a moving target? You can't simply say, yeah, we've got the rules, here it is, uh, that you have to reevaluate this from time to time, depending on what's going on on the field? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I think this is a process and evolution. And I think all sports have to handle this uh, in a way that works for them and their players based on their incidence of concussion and the severity of those concussions and how much contact is involved. Uh, I will say, however, that having uh, you know a, a system that errs on the side of caution is what's most appropriate because we still don't know what we don't know about concussions and the downstream consequences, as you've highlighted, can sometimes take decades to present themselves uh, when players are often already out of professional sport. So I think what's important now is is to highlight the recognize and remove philosophy. Uh, for concussion management, uh, and then progress players back when they are safe to come back. And and that's, as you mentioned, going to take a, a, an awful lot of observation and, and some work by the, by the physicians involved in something like this. But as you you know, as you mentioned this in the piece too, of course, about uh, you know the, the pressure that's on professional athletes. First of all, the athlete themselves probably wants to get back into the the fray. Uh, the team certainly does, and and th th there's going to have to be some stringent protocol, I guess, put in place to make sure that, that the person's health is going to be paramount. But if they do that, and and in the case of the Dolphins situation here, uh, where they decided, yeah, he was going to play again, and I, you know, they can say what they want about a back injury. I, it's pretty obvious he had a concussion against the Bills too, uh, but they put him back in there. Uh, there's always the chance, I guess, of reoccurrence. I mean, as you say, if you've had one. It, does that make you more vulnerable to even a hit that may not necessarily cause a concussion might cause a concussion in somebody that, that has had one before? Yes, it certainly does. And, you know, the brain is very vulnerable. And so this is why it's so important uh, to recognize that while we can't eliminate all concussions, what we're trying to do is minimize the total burden across your, your playing lifespan, right? So we're trying to make sure that you don't go back with a vulnerable brain. Uh, and you try and limit the total number of concussions you receive over time and the severity of those concussions. Are we doing enough for, uh, so far as equipment is concerned? I'd say rugby is a bit of a different animal because, you know, you don't wear helmets there. But, I mean, hockey players do, football players do, baseball players do at the same time. Are we, are we, is the technology keeping up with this? I mean, you're never going to make a football helmet that's going to guarantee you're never going to get a concussion. I mean, the, you know, as you say, you've got the, the most important part of your body sitting there on a little stem that gets bounded around in your skull. Uh, you're going to get injured if you're going to play contact sports. But can we minimize that through equipment? Yeah, so there have been some great advances made with uh, mouth guard technology and helmet technology over the last few years. And that certainly does decrease the extent to which concussions are, are an issue. But you're right that we can't eliminate them entirely. And really, the helmet might protect the, you know, the head and the, and the skull from fracture. Uh, but it does less to prevent the, you know, the softer substances within the skull from from bouncing around in there, as you suggested. So, so really, you know, we can't rely on that as the full solution. But uh, but certainly there have been advances. Well, it's a fascinating read. You can go to theconversation.com and, and and read it for yourself when you get some time. Doctor, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, for writing this, and uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, and thank you for uh, having me on the show and bringing attention to this issue. Okay, Dr. Adam Pyle, emergency physician, of course, and lecturer at the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.